And I'm excited uh, because this week we're in our second week of our series where we're talking about the gospel. There's nothing better to talk about than to talk about the center of our faith. So to get ready for this week, I, I want to use an illustration. So I know that this isn't just true for me and Karina, but in our family, Amazon Prime is kind of a big deal. <laughs> I know this is true for many of you all. So if, if you don't know what Amazon Prime is, I'm sorry. Uh, Amazon Prime is... is part of obviously Amazon's website and they, they, um, they give you benefits. You get the benefit of getting free shipping on all kinds of things. You also get access to videos and movies. And I'm sure there's some other things that Karina knows about that I don't know about that are benefits of Amazon Prime. It's this wonderful thing. It, it's, it's a big part of our family. Um, and one of the great things about it is that it's real simple. There are not high standards for being a member of Amazon Prime and receiving all of those benefits. There are not a lot of hoops that you need to jump through. You get all those movies, you get all those TV shows, you get all that free shipping and all those benefits, and you only need to do one thing. What is that thing? You just need to pay. All you need to do is pay an annual fee, and then you are in. It's wonderful. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's very transactional. It's an exchange. They have something we want, and we give them some money, and then we get that benefit. Now, just imagine for a minute that, that somebody from Amazon headquarters, though, gave me a call and said, hey, I, I want to talk to you about your membership in the Amazon family. Because I know you're receiving these benefits, but we at Amazon don't really believe that you are holding up your end of the bargain and adequately representing what is Amazon Prime members are all about. We think you should be posting more about us on social media. We think you should be talking to your friends about us more. We think you should be buying more Amazon products. We feel that you need to do more in order to prove your membership in the Amazon Prime family. What would I be doing if I got this call? Be like, why are we talking right now? I paid you. That's all that needs to happen right now. I don't even know why we're having a conversation. I paid the one-time fee. I'm a member. There were no other requirements. I'm not really interested. That would be my response. Now, and by the way, I think that's a fine response in a situation like that. This is a transactional relationship. The, the problem is that we can sometimes bring that same mentality into how we think about how the gospel works. We can think, all right, this is a very transactional idea. God has something that I want. Amazon Prime has something that I want. God has something that I want. God can offer me forgiveness for my sins. God can offer me eternal life. God can offer me heaven. That's what I want. And so my only question is, what do I need to do in order to get that? And if you were here last week, as, as we started off the series, we talked about, all right, what, what is at the center? The, the gospel is the central message of the Christian faith. And at the center of the gospel is that it's not a message about something that we are supposed to do for God. It's a message about something that God has done for us. It's the message that through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, God has brought us into his family. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. So some of us might find ourselves in the same position where we could say, all right, I did all I, all I need, apparently all I need to do. I don't need to do a whole bunch of things. I don't need to perform well in, in order to be a Christian. All I need to do is place my faith in Jesus. Give a profession of faith, say that Jesus is Lord. That's what I need to do. And then I'm a member of the family. And so if later on, I feel like God is speaking to me and saying, hey, 
you need to stop talking to your wife that way. Hey, you need to give more money, more generously. Hey, you, you need to serve and, and use your gifts to serve others at church. Hey, you need to stop doing that sin. Am I going to treat God like, why are we talking right now? I did the one-time payment. I signed on the dollar. I made the profession of it. Why are we talking right now? I did what it took. I'm just waiting for my eternal life. What we're going to talk about this Sunday is the fact that the gospel transforms both our future and our present. The gospel is much more than putting your affairs in order so that when you die, you get to go to heaven. The gospel transforms our lives, not only in the future, but right now. And here's the deal. Some some of you, you think, of course. You think, I know this. Christians are supposed to be different. We're, We're not just supposed to live like, well, I signed on the dotted line and now I do whatever I want. Most of us say, no, I I know I'm supposed to be different. I know I'm supposed to be obedient. I know I'm supposed to be pursuing holiness in my life. I I know those things are true. But what I want to say, and and this is one of my big hopes for today, you might not know why that's true. Because at the end of the day, you might say, well, that transactional thing kind of makes sense. Why is this important? Why is this required in any way? If we're saved, not on our performance, why is it that we still are called to live in a certain way? And what we're going to see, we're going to see a passage that unfolds this reality of the transformation that happens now and not just in the future. And largely it happens because of something that we receive when we respond to the gospel. We can say, all right, when we respond to the gospel of Jesus, we receive eternal life. Or at the very least, we receive the promise of eternal life. But what we're going to see is we also receive something else. Or better put, we also receive someone else. When we respond to the gospel, we receive the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be the center of everything that we're going to get to talk about this morning. We are changed now and not just for the future, because when we respond to the gospel, we not only get a promise of eternal life in the future, we have the Holy Spirit living in us right now. Now, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So Romans and New Testament letter about... I don't know, maybe a third of the way through the, through the New Testament, late in the Bible. We're going to go through Romans chapter 8, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. These four verses. And we're going to see a passage that's focused on the Holy Spirit, but specifically about how the Holy Spirit impacts our lives now. And how the Christian life, as we look to live obedient lives to God, it's not a matter of saying, well, we're saved by the gospel, and then we grit our teeth and we obey God. We never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is the basis by which we're saved and the gospel is the fountain from which we drink as we walk forward following Jesus. So the first thing that we're gonna see in this passage is the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, all right, if this is what we've received, if we've received the Holy Spirit, what is this gift that God has given us? And Paul starts really simply in this passage. He says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, Paul is saying, all right, I I want you to see that this is something that works together. I want you to see an association. If you're looking for a way to identify those who belong to God, if you're looking for a way to say, well, well, how do I know the difference between somebody who's a Christian and not a Christian, somebody who's a believer and not a believer? Paul says, I'll tell you how you know. Anybody who is a child of God 
has the spirit of God. In fact, just a few verses earlier in in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, Paul said, anybody that doesn't have the spirit doesn't belong to God. This is a core part of what it means. So he says, all right, if if you wanna recognize who the children of God are, they are those who have the Holy Spirit. Now let's just pause for a minute and make sure we're all talking about the same thing here when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because when it comes to the Trinity, all right, so Christians believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that God is three in one. You might say, all right, the Father, I can kind of get. All right, I, I get the Father, that he's sort of the, the one who created everything and that, that he's a great God. All right, I, I can get that with the Father. And with the Son, we can say, all right, I've read the Gospels or I'm aware of these stories of Jesus. I can get who the Son is. I get the Father, I get the Son. But with the Spirit, is he just this, this nebulous force that comes around? Are we talking about Star Wars here? What are we talking about with the Spirit? Well, what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit is not just the power of God or some impersonal force. We are talking about a divine person. And this is hugely important when we think about the Holy Spirit. It's it's a pet peeve of mine whenever we refer to the Holy Spirit as it. The Holy Spirit is not it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. And part of why we know this is because of how the Holy Spirit is talked about in the New Testament. One passage, Paul talks about the idea that we're not to grieve the Spirit. You wouldn't say, well, don't grieve the impersonal power of God. People get grieved. We talk about lying to the Spirit. Well, well, you don't lie to a force, you lie to a person. We hear that the Spirit guides us and leads us. He empowers us. He emboldens us. He teaches us. He reminds us. In fact, one other thing. You know what Romans 8, Paul also says the Spirit does for us? He prays for us. It's one of, you, you can look it up later. It's verses 26 and 27 of the same passage, Romans chapter 8. But what Paul basically says is, you don't know how to pray. And some of you are like, I know. I don't know what I'm doing when I'm praying. But some of you are like, I know how to pray. Paul says, no, you don't. You don't know how to pray. You think you do. And so you go to God and you do your best. And, and you're in a tough situation. And so you say, God, I can't stand this work situation that I'm in. So please give me a new job. We cry out to God the best we know how to. And the Holy Spirit, meanwhile, is fixing it and saying, he doesn't need a new job. He needs patience. <laughs> some of you are like, curses. That's true. Any job, I'm going to need patience. The Spirit fixes our prayers. This is a person. And he's not just any person. He is a divine person. He is God himself. To the point that Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples shortly before he was arrested, he said to them, don't grieve because I'm going away. It is to your advantage that I go away because if I didn't go away, the Spirit wouldn't come. In other words, Jesus thinks that if you're a Christian, he thinks you are better off with the Holy Spirit living inside of you than with Jesus Christ standing right next to you. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself living inside of us. And and just to support what Paul is saying here, where he says, well, that's how you know who a Christian is. It's somebody that has the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in another passage in Ephesians chapter one. And if you're super fast, you can turn there. If not, you could write it down or just listen. Paul says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now listen to this next part. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance 
until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Uh, Now, just to help us understand this idea, the, the, the Greek word that Paul uses here for the deposit that guarantees our inheritance um, it's, it's used in modern Greek as well as in the, the ancient Greek that was used here. And in modern Greek, what this word has come to mean is engagement ring. Now just think about that for a second. When a man gives a woman an engagement ring, what is he saying to her? Is he saying, we are married right now? No, he is saying, this is my deposit. This is my down payment on our marriage. This is me promising you. So if a woman is walking around, she says, this man is going to marry me. And other people say, I don't think so. She can do what? (laughs) Right there. He's going to marry me. I know he's going to marry me because he bought me this ring. What Paul is saying here is we know we will get everything that God promised us. We know that we'll get heaven. We know that we'll have our sins forgiven. We know that we'll be in God's family forever. We know that we've been welcomed in. You know how we know? We've got the Holy Spirit. I mentioned the the Holy Spirit does all kinds of things in our lives. This is one of the signs. One of the reasons we're changed is just because the Holy Spirit, by definition, changes us when he comes and dwells in us. But the Spirit does all kinds of things. He empowers, he emboldens, he gives us gifts. But one of the things that he does is he teaches us. He's a communicator of messages. And so what we're going to see in verses 15 and 16 is that Paul says, let me tell you the message that the Spirit communicates to you. The message of the Spirit, starting in verse 15, Paul says, the Spirit you received, first of all, he tells us what the Spirit doesn't tell us. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So it's all right, here's what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. He doesn't come and dwell in you and then whisper in your ear, you are God's slave. You better live up to his expectations. You better live up to it. Otherwise you're out. You better obey every single command that he's ever given you. Otherwise you are done with him. The Spirit doesn't whisper to us messages that lead us towards slavery and fear. And and let me just share on on a personal level real quick. You know, I I grew up in a Christian home and and I don't, don't, nobody nobody else's fault that I I thought this, but my basic idea of the Christian life, I had kind of some things that I wasn't proud of my senior year in high school and then really repented of those and wanted to follow Jesus with all my heart. And at that time, here was my concept of the Christian faith. Um, you'll always fail, but you should spend the rest of your life trying your hardest not to fail. That was what I thought it was all about. And I was not experiencing joy, but I was like, I must be growing in Jesus because I'm pretty miserable and I'm trying really hard and my behavior is improving. and, And so, all right, so I must be doing something right here. I was a slave to fear. I was living not at all the message that the Spirit comes to bring. The Spirit doesn't say, you're slaves, so live up to it because you have no status in this family. He says, no, no, you're not a slave in the household. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You are not slaves in the household. You are sons and daughters in the household. You have the status of permanent membership in the family of God. 
Then he goes on and, and look at what he says. Because we're children of God, because we're sons and daughters, he says, and by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. And some of you may know that that term Abba, is, it's the Aramaic term. It's also the term that most scholars think is the term that Jesus used when he addressed the Father. And you can hear that it's not a formal term, Abba. You can almost hear the word Papa in there. It's a familiar term. By the Holy Spirit, we cry out to God as our Father. And then he says in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, with our inner person, that we are God's children. In other words, the Spirit is whispering to us, all right, here's my message to you. You see God over there? That's your Father. That's your Papa. You're his child. He's your Father. Now, I was reflecting on this. A lot of you, you know, have gone through the parenting thing, just like Karina and I are right now. I want to talk a minute about my, my son, David, my youngest son. Um, picture via Laura Watson photography for all your needs later on. <laughs> it's a great picture. I love that she captured this. So, so my son, David, who's six years old, I put him up here because he's the one that, that I still experience this the most with. Um, and, and what I experience is that there are times, and sometimes this even happens on Sundays, if I have them for a minute, um, you know, I'll be outside and people are coming and going because it's between services and he may lose track of me just kind of for a minute where it's like there are all these faces around and he's looking around and he's lost track of dad. And then when he sees me, do you know what comes over his face? Yeah, an instant recognition. In other words, he looks at me and nobody has to come over to him and say, that guy over there, that's your dad. <laughs> he looks at me and he thinks, that's my dad. He knows I'm his dad. And so he comes over to me and we, we have our little reunion right there. He knows I'm his dad. There's recognition of that. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, you know what the spirit does in our lives? He convinces us that we're God's children and therefore God is our dad. Now, is God the judge of the whole world? Yes, he is. But the primary way that we relate to him is not as our judge, but as our father. Our father who's gonna discipline us for our good, not condemn us to cast us out. God is still the creator. God is, God is still the judge. None of this changes. But the way that we relate to God is that we look at him. And this is so powerful that the spirit would do this, that instead of being in a mode where we'd have to say, all right, I'm thinking about God, God's your father. He's not just your judge, God's your father. We're trying to convince ourselves. He says, the Holy Spirit convinces you. The Holy Spirit helps you look at God, think about God and recognize him as your father. Now, now, just one other thing with this, because this is something else that will happen. So, so that, that scenario where David's out there and he, he loses track of me for a minute, um, for him, he's looking around and he's doing all kinds of things and, and he's looking at people and he's trying to figure out where his dad is. But the whole time this is going on, I usually know exactly where he is, usually, almost every time. <laughs> I know exactly, where, I'm watching him go through the process, looking around, you know, he's just a couple feet from me, he's right there. And so he may be looking around for his dad, but the entire time he's looking around, I'm looking at him and you know what I'm thinking? That's my kid. That's my son. That's my boy. You may have times, you might even be in a season right now where it is difficult for you to believe that God is your father. 
might say, I'm ashamed of things I've done. Maybe I'm not walking right right now or I just have shame or anxiety about things in my life or things in my past. And I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm having a hard time believing that God is my father. The entire time you're thinking of that, God is looking at you and you know what he's thinking? Yeah, there, there's my girl. There's my boy. There's my kid right there. You might be confused about it. God is never confused about it. Now, this is key when we're talking about what it means to be, to be a part of the family of God, when it means that, that we're instinctively crying out to God as our Father. We have, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Holy Spirit is going to transform us. We're relating to God as our Father. And if we're in a new family, there's going to be new family norms. The idea here is, hey, you better get your stuff together. The idea here is, well, you're in the family of God. And if you're in the family of God, you're going to start acting like somebody would act in the family of God. So there's one last part to this, and that's verse 17, where he talks about the impact of the Spirit. So here we go. He says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. This is why back in verse 15, instead of just saying, you know, you're you're adopted as sons and daughters, he says, you're adopted into sonship because sons were heirs. So he says, men and women, you're all sons because you're all heirs. Because we're children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with our big brother who went before us, the only natural son, Jesus Christ. And then he finishes the passage by saying, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And some of you right now are like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew this was too good to be true. I knew that whole message of, hey, it's not about your performance and you just get in by God's grace. I knew there was gonna be some catch to it. I knew you were gonna sneak works into this equation. So we gotta suffer. That's what he says. He says, we don't get the glory. We don't get the inheritance. We don't get all that unless we suffer. So, so let's get into what Paul is actually saying here. And don't misunderstand. You, you might think, well, what Paul is saying here is um, step one, become a Christian. Step two, suffer, and then you get the glory. That's actually not what Paul is saying at all. To Paul, steps one and two are the same step. When he says, if you suffer with him, he's basically saying, if you become a believer. Because if you become a believer, you will suffer with him. You will be identified with him. You'll suffer mockery at different times because you hold the things that Jesus calls you to and that flies in the face of the norms in our culture. You'll suffer because you will be in the battle against sin in ways that other people aren't in the battle against sin and their lives will feel a lot smoother and your life will feel like a little bit more angst. You'll suffer just because you'll be dealing with, with the anxieties and the angst of saying, well, what, what do I do with my money? I mean, I kind of want to just spend it on myself, but I also don't want to just spend it on myself. I, I want to be generous with it. I kind of want to just shrug my shoulders at my sin, but I also don't want to do that. I also want to fight my sin in my life. So sometimes it's just the normal things in life. You're dealing with it differently. You're identifying with Jesus. The suffering sometimes does get to the point of persecution. We need to all be ready for that. But in a much broader way, what he is simply saying is you get the glory if you're a member of the family. And in order to be a member of the family and function as a member of the family, you're experiencing the same suffering that Jesus experienced. Let me give another example. My best friend and his wife just finalized the adoption of their second child. They've adopted two children right now. 
Um, and, and for their adoptions, they, it, it wasn't a child going out of the orphanage and into the home, but, but that's kind of the idea we think of with adoption. All right, so, so you're in the orphanage and then you're welcomed into the home. So imagine a couple coming to a child in an orphanage and saying, here's, here's what we've decided. We want to adopt you into our family. And the kid says, that's great. They say, all right, we're, we're going to go. We're going to sign all the papers to make it official. And the child says, that's great. I'll sign, I'll sign whatever. I'll do, I'll do whatever uh, I need in order to get into the family. And they say, great. It's time to take you to your new home. And the child says, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm going to stay right here. Now, I still want to be adopted. I still want to officially be a member of the family. I want to make sure all that is taken care of. I want to make sure that I get the inheritance, you know, after you guys die. Uh, I want to make sure that I still get Christmas gifts and that if something comes up and I get arrested, I can call you. I, I want to make sure all that's in order. But I'm going to go ahead and stay here in the orphanage. We think, well, how incredibly tragic that is. And at the same time, you might look at it and say, well, maybe they have a point. I mean, after all, if they go into the home of that family, they're going to be expected to function as a member of that family. And that's going to come with certain expectations. They're, they're going to be expected to be kind to their brothers and sisters. They're going to be expected to forgive one another. The, the parents are going to say, hey, in our family, this is how we function. And there would be nothing that the family would be saying to that child in terms of, if you don't function this way, we're kicking you back out. They would just say, in our home, this is how we do things. So the child could end up saying, I don't want to go through that. I want to be in charge of my own life. So, so adoption, yes. Membership of the household, no. And if that child said, I don't want to go live in your home, then you might even come to say, well, I don't think in the end then you really do want to be adopted. Here's where all this comes into play. We all need to come to grips with the question of if we are still living in the orphanage. You may be a genuine believer. Now, the, the real deal, you are really rescued from your sin. You really have heaven ahead of you, but you're still living in the orphanage. And it could be for a couple different reasons. I mean, I mean, the first reason might be because you're saying, well, well I'm, I'm still living here because I still want to just be in charge of my life. I want to do whatever I want. So God, yes, I want heaven. Yes, I want the fire insurance. I, I don't want to go to hell when I die. I, I want all that taken care of. I want my affairs in order, but I still want to be in charge of my life. And that there is a weird part of us that, that, that can, we can try to convince ourselves, well, that would be the best of both worlds. But if you live that way for any length of time, what you realize is that that's actually the worst of both worlds. You deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit because you got the Holy Spirit. And so when you're in sin and rebellion, it's not as good as it could be if you didn't have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's whispering to you, yeah, you really shouldn't be doing this. This isn't the way God calls you to live. So you're not really enjoying that that much. And you're certainly not enjoying the benefits of being part of the family of God because you're in rebellion. If you still live as if you're in the orphanage, you are missing out on the benefits. And the invitation to you wouldn't be, hey, stop doing that, you owe God. The response would be, don't you wanna start experiencing the benefits of being God's child now and not wait for heaven? 
Don't you want to experience the closeness with him that you could have right now? Don't you want to experience the joy of hearing his voice in your life? Don't you want to experience the new life and the victory that he brings and the boldness and the adventure of stepping out in faith? Don't you want all that? And if you say, no, then you genuinely have to ask yourself, well, then do I even want Jesus at all? Or have I just fooled myself? Have I just made this into a transaction? Saying, oh, I want heaven. Maybe you don't even want heaven. Maybe you just don't want hell. Because if right now you're saying, well, I want heaven, but I don't want to live my life right now as if it's all about Jesus. I've got a dark secret to you about what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be all about Jesus. If right now you're saying, I want heaven, but I don't want Jesus, you don't want heaven. Because heaven is all about Jesus. You might be in the orphanage because you're trying to play both sides, but you also might be in the orphanage because you were like I was, how I described earlier. You might think, well, I, I need to still be in the orphanage. I need to still be here until I have proven that I belong. I need to live by my own efforts until I prove to that family that I should be adopted by them. And if that's you right now, I, I want to give you the message of liberation. Paul says the spirit tells us a message. He whispers in our ear. And the message he whispers is not, you are slaves, you better perform. The message is, you are children, cry out to God as your father. And when you cry out to God as your father, it, it might not be. Sometimes we, we might think, well, that's like a baby just kind of crying out to God. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think that's the idea of treating God as if he is accessible to us as our father. So when you're crying out to God as father, you might be crying out to him out of pure joy. My kids do this sometimes, especially our middle son, Jack. We'll be doing something great and he's, he's just a real joy-filled kid. We'll be doing something that he really enjoys and he'll just turn to me and he'll say, dad, this is so great. Sometimes we cry out to God just saying, father, this is so amazing. What you've created is so amazing. The life that you've given me is so amazing. I just, I wanna connect with you about it. And that may turn into cries of gratitude where you say, thank you so much. Thank you that I live free and forgiven. Thank you that it's not up to my performance. Thank you so much that you've given me a, a, a family and resources. Thank you, thank you. I'm crying out to you in gratitude. Or I'm crying out to you for, for compassion because I've sinned and I feel bad about what I've done and I don't want to live in, in, in some kind of gap in our relationship. So I'm crying out to you in confession. Or I'm crying out to you in desperation because I've got a situation and I don't know how to handle it. And it, it's over my head. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the courage. I, I don't have the discernment to handle this. So God, I'm crying out to you. Don't you want to experience that now instead of waiting for heaven? The invitation here is to stop living as if you're in the orphanage and start living as if you're in the household. Our lives as Christians are meant to be transformed, not because we've decided we're going to live up to God's expectations, but because the gospel saved us. God's grace saved us. And now God's grace is giving us the strength to move forward. Instead of saying, I'm going to obey because otherwise God might get me. We're saying, I want to obey because I'm securing God's family no matter what. And the reason we know we're secure in God's family no matter what is because God sent his one and only son for us. And if God sent Jesus for us, there's nothing he will ever hold back. 
In fact, the way that we get to respond this morning to this message is we get to experience communion together. So if you're going to be helping out with communion, you can head to the back and and that's going to be prepared right now. But just even think for a second about the word communion. Sometimes this is called the the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. When we use the word communion, it points towards the fact that we're celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus. And you know what the sacrifice of Jesus did? It united God and man. We have communion. We have fellowship with God. We have closeness with God. We have God as our father and us as his children because of what Jesus did. So when we take the bread and when we drink from the cup, we are celebrating the price that was paid to make us God's children, not just in the future, but right now. So as we prepare, let let me just say this. For some of you, this may be an opportunity as as you prepare to take communion and prepare for the, the songs that we'll sing. This may be an opportunity for repentance for you. It may be a time for you to say, you know what, I I have been trying to play both sides. I have been thinking I'll just do whatever I want. And maybe you're at the point where you're miserable about that. Maybe you're not even at the point that you're miserable about it, but you know that this is not what God has called you to. You know that this is not the rich life of being a child of God. And your calling is to repent. Your calling is to turn and to say, God, this is what I've been doing. This is not how I want to live. I know this is not how you've called me to live. It's time to set those things aside. It's time to walk with you. And for some of you, this moment may actually be liberating in a different way. It may be liberating because it's an opportunity for you to say to God, God, I am coming to you in faith that I don't have to perform. That what we're celebrating right now is the performance of Jesus. And that that's enough. Let me pray for us as we prepare for this right now. Father, thank you so much that our place in your household doesn't depend on our performance. Thank you for the message that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose from the dead, that he's brought us into your family. Thank you that we can function as children and not as slaves. And Father, I pray that you liberate us through the empty way of living in our own sin. And I pray that you liberate us from the slavish way of trying to live up to something. Lead us to revel in your grace, in how we get saved and in how we walk. And Father, in this time of communion, I pray that you would be pleased as we draw near to you in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.